Bereavement Room is a podcast for our community, faith and culture, featuring representative voices from across the UK. And I am your host, Kolsima Ali. Hello, my name's Shireen Kerr and you're listening to the Bereavement Room podcast. Hi, I'm James Boston and you're listening to the Bereavement Room podcast. Hello, I'm Bafo Ababio and you're listening to Bereavement Room podcast. Hi, I'm Jameel Amaraji, and you listen to Bereavement Room Podcast. Hi, I'm Ben Akwa, and you're listening to Bereavement Room Podcast. Hi, I'm John Almir, and you're listening to the Bereavement Room Podcast. Hi, I'm Chelsea Coomson, and you're listening to the Bereavement Room Podcast. Hello, my name is Laura Marvin, and you are listening to the Bereavement Room Podcast. Hi all, welcome back to Bereavement Room Podcast. How's your week going? I hope you're all doing well. Please do DM me, write to me over on Instagram and Twitter. It's at Bereavement Room. Let me know if you're enjoying season two of BR. I love hearing from you. And of course, it does make all the difference if you tap the star rating in the Apple Podcast app. Brings me great pleasure to say that today's guest is Laura Marvin. Laura graduated from the University of Leeds in 2019, majoring in criminal justice and criminology. Despite COVID, Laura has an interest in travelling and is also a regular listener of my podcast. Laura has joined me today to share her lived experience of grief and loss. We remember her mum who died in 2018 whilst on holiday in Mauritius, her native country. As always, thank you so much for listening. I am your host, Kolsima Ali. Hello everyone, I'm pleased to say I'm joined by today's guest, Laura Marvin. Hello Laura, how are you today? I'm okay, thank you. Um, I'm a bit upset at the weather to be honest, it's pretty rubbish. Um, yeah. But yeah, other than that, I'm, I'm doing pretty well, thank you, just a normal Saturday. Yeah. yeah, not too bad, I agree with you with the weather, it's just kind of like, we've not had much of a summer I suppose. Um, but yeah, I'm alright. I well, no, I'm not. I'm having a really shit time at the moment with stuff that I'm navigating, but with healthcare and stuff. Oh gosh. Yeah, I think I'm you might have saw it on Instagram. Yeah. Did, and I hope you're you'll you'll um you'll be able to sort it all out, and there'll be justice at the end. I hope so too. I hope so too. It's just a really difficult process to navigate and I think they do that on purpose to make it hard for people but we'll see what happens but thank you very much and thanks to everyone that's tuned in. It is a Saturday morning here with us, Uh, well afternoon even, it's just gone midday and I'm really happy that Laura you have joined me to share your experiences um, you're going to be talking about your mum who passed away in 2018. Yes. That was during your final year of uni. Yes, right at the beginning. At the beginning, okay. Tough, really tough thing to go through as a young adult. And before we go f- uh, get into all of that, kind of talk to me about where you're from, what city you're from, your background. Our listeners love to know a bit more about our guests and their background. Um, yeah, so my name is Laura. Um, I grew up in North London in a small area called Edmonton, which is in the borough of Enfield. 
um, I grew up with a Mauritian mum and an English dad. So yeah, it was quite, um, quite a mixed experience in terms of growing up. Um, I was very close with like my mum's side of the family growing up. So I saw a lot of like Mauritian culture. So I'm quite well accustomed with Mauritian culture and also um, I suppose a bit of English culture, but I wasn't very close with my dad's side of the family apart from my nan. Okay, interesting. Uh, is that because um, you didn't spend too much time with them or you don't, it's not very large on your dad's side of the family? or So both. Um, it wasn't very large on my dad's side of the family at all. Um, okay. And I think there were some issues that like they based, like my dad and my brother just, my dad and his brother just didn't really speak at all. So I never really uh, knew okay. him or that side of the family. Um, and... Yeah, my, my, my upbringing was quite humble. It was pretty normal, I feel. Like, I don't know what normal is, what people define as normal. But, <laughs> um, but yeah, my um, my mum was a housekeeper at the local hospital. Um, she held that job basically throughout, throughout my life. Um, and my dad worked in a car factory until he was made redundant in 2008. And then he became a care worker. Okay, wow, that's such a big change and adjustment, um, and in your dad's life as well, um, f from becoming, you know, going into care work, um, but it's really rewarding work, and yeah. I think with fa families, as you say, they're all, families are really convoluted and complicated. Every family mm -hmm. is. <laughs> there is, I don't know what normal is either. So don't worry, I'm with you. I'm with you on that. <laughs> um but that's that's really lovely so you're half Mauritian half English have you been yeah. to Mauritius before a lot growing up um so growing up I went a lot um so it's quite a big big holiday to go on and it's an expensive holiday um mm. but we were lucky enough to be able to stay at my nan and granddad's um and we went every three years essentially mm. um so going to Mauritius I actually did find quite hard because like I'm quite a city girl <laughs> and um, I'm very accustomed to like com my comforts basically so sometimes staying at my nan and granddad's I did find it quite hard um but it was really nice like Mauritius is such a beautiful country and I'm so blessed to have been able to have that experience and grow up with like such an amazing and rich culture that I could that was just there like we had so many Mauritian parties, the music was so lovely, um, the food, and just being able to meet so many people in Mauritius that like, like my extent, like great extended family. Mm, it's very welcoming to kind of, you know, visit your parents' homeland, you know, the motherland, as people yeah. would say. Yeah. yeah. It was just so nice as well, because, um, like that's I could tell that's where my mum did feel truly at home like she would always mm -hmm. call Mauritius like home she said oh yeah I'm going home next year when she'd be speaking to other people and um yeah like she was always just a bit more relaxed there like that was definitely where her heart was yeah I hear you on that I can resonate with that I I think it's really hard when our parents and grandparents have to move from their homeland to another country and then sort of assimilate and settle and, and mm. you know g going home to visit family and that is where your heart is essentially home is where your heart is just like it is for us I guess in a way if you know we see UK as our home 
Um, so your mum came over in the 1980s, right? Yes, I think yeah. that's about the time when she came over. Um, so her older sister had already moved here to become a nurse. And mm. um, she came for a few months, I think for three months was her planned stay. And she actually met my dad because um, my dad put an ad in the local newspaper like because he was looking for like a partner and oh um, yeah <laughs> um it's so classified it's it's such a sign of of the times right like yeah <laughs> do that now no well we might do it digitally <laughs> mm, oh my gosh yes tinder and hinge yeah yeah that it's moved over online now <laughs> but i i love that so i because i remember those adverts in the local gazette newspapers uh, uh when i was growing up so he put an ad in there and, and what happened so he put an ad in there and then my auntie's friend um, responded to him and then by the time things got going she'd actually met someone else. Um, so my auntie's friend said to my auntie do you know anyone who would be interested in finding a partner and my auntie then gave it to my mum. Oh my gosh I love this this so is brilliant. Story yeah. So, so then, and then it was just sort of making contact and going on a first date and stuff. Yes. Um. So it was it was quite fast actually. They they met and then three months later they got married. Oh my gosh, that is very fast. Mm. Yeah, definitely. But as you say, that is a sign of the times back then. Yeah. Uh, versus now, it's a completely different story now. <laughs> it's so much harder now. I feel. It is so much harder now, and people are now settling down when they're a lot older, I find, mm. um, or, or not at all. Um, yeah. It's a, a, I, I don't know if it's just that instant gratification or what, uh, the age of technology and social media, but I kind of miss those old days, because I feel like all the stories I hear from our parents and grandparents, you know, people really made an effort and they didn't give up in the first hurdle. And it, it is just so much different when you think of when you compare a snapshot of now compared to mm. like how um, like our grandparents and like our extended family would talk about a romantic relationship years ago. Very, very much so. Yeah. Oh, that's put me in a really like, ah, oh, sweet mood. <laughs> Yeah. yeah then they were together for like 30 years that's a really long time mm -hmm. you know it's a large chunk um of time to be with someone which kind of uh brings me on to talk a little bit about your relationship with your mum and what that was like you know what was your mum like so my mum was a very kind and affectionate person so throughout my childhood we were very close um, she was so sweet and very understanding of course like there were ups and downs like just as it is in every family but from the ages up until like 12 um, like like when I was 12 it was just it was very nice um, she always put our needs um, like mine and my brothers um, in front of her own um, and she would never really complain um, about that much at all um, and in terms of like how she put extended family, like the needs of our extended family in front of her own as well, um, that was just so, so selfless. Um, so yeah, we were, we were very close and 
it was a nice and loving relationship. We had fun. Um, I remember there was there was one time which I'll always remember. I was about eight years old, and I was we were in Mauritius, and um, I felt so 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 homesick, like so homesick. And um, we were only a week into the holiday. And I was crying because I had mosquito bites all on my leg. And I was saying to my mum, like, please, mum, can I go home? Please, can I go home? And then she literally started to make arrangements for me to go home. Um, and I and then I felt bad. And I was like, don't worry, mum, I'll be fine. But <laughs> it's just like looking back now, I realised how selfless that that really was. Because that would have cost like a grand for me to just go home. Just mm. because I was upset. And she was prepared to pay that money just so I could be happy and like, Oh, and my dad was at home for that holiday too. So I would have gone home to him. But she was just literally prepared to do that because I was so sad. So that's just really like, that really exemplifies the sort of person that she was. Mm. And did you just, did you reflect on that after your mum's death or uh, more so about her selflessness? Yeah, definitely. Um, Definitely. And... Um, I I knew quite a few Mauritian people growing up and Mm -hmm. their households could be quite strict um, just as a cultural thing. And it was very strict, very like, of course, I don't speak for all all Mauritian households, but um, in Mauritian culture, um, I do know that it can be a tendency to be very hard on your children. Mm. Um, And I just always remember thinking like, I'm so like... I feel so blessed that like my mum is quite soft (laughs) yeah she sounds really lovely and I think that's really important uh, especially when you're in your growing years that you have that affection and that emotion um with a parent and it sounds like it's something that you're super grateful for now looking back um on her life and the relationship that you had with her yeah yeah so I mean, you you talk, when we spoke a couple of months ago, you, you said that um, your mum visited you in Canada and then you both went to Paris. What was that like for you, you know, versus all the prior struggles? So, um, yeah, so my mum visited me in Canada on my year abroad. Um, she came for 10 days at the end of my year. So I hadn't seen her for about nine months um and it was so lovely it was so fun um and we did have a really good time um but yeah in terms of like the prior struggles um we were very so as I said we were very close up until I um I I, I was about 12 Mm -hmm. and then she began to develop like her own struggles that I didn't understand um and I began to like resent her a lot for for the struggles so there was a lot of I won't go too much into detail but she like a lot of the time she wasn't able to be like mentally present um so I I lacked a lot from her I felt Mm. um so yeah we argued a lot in like my teen years it was difficult to relate to her she was difficult to speak to and I don't think I spoke to anyone in the house a lot really like I just came home and went straight to my room um and I remember like I would just feel a lot of sadness and resentment at like attachment in our home Mm. um so yeah um 
there was like lots of stress in like our extended family in terms of like illness Mm. um throughout my childhood and like um my mum's stress levels were just always sky high and um her identical twin sister had like significant mental health issues and substance abuse issues and she um like like it's very hard like for your twin sister to go through all of that and it was it must have had such an impact on her that being being young as I was I didn't really think about yeah of course and we you wouldn't and that's actually quite normal um Mm. because you are young and you're only get developing an understanding of you know how things work in life and society and um how things impact people and that's pretty normal it sort of comes to us later that we get a better understanding I guess of what's going on Mm. and that's actually quite difficult thing to process when you do when it is coming into your awareness Mm. that oh that was a lot for mum because she had a you know a twin sister that was unwell and your it sounds like your mum had to support your twin sister a lot through her struggles it was very chaotic like it was it was a very chaotic um situation to deal with um I I didn't have to deal with it of course but just I could literally see from an outsider's perspective like this is awful (laughs) Mm. um and then um she had that to deal with and my um other auntie so her older sister she was also significantly ill she had a heart transplant um and then she had breast cancer and then in 2015 she passed away um, so that was very stressful and upsetting for all of us, including my mom, because of course that was her sister. Um, so yeah, and we all we all grieved independently. So mm-hmm. just because of the way that our family unit was, we didn't really talk that much about our emotions. Um, so that must have also been hard for her. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, she she just felt very alone and um we just she didn't want to speak to me or anyone else really Mm. and you you talked about grief there so she had grief for the fact that her sister had died she was grieving Uh, and as you said everyone grieves independently and in different ways um you also talk about their emotions why do you think um because it's something that I hear quite a lot on the podcast where families don't often talk about their emotions together or openly enough it is very independent do you have a sort of feeling of why that might be what why that was so I I personally wonder if if it's a cultural issue um Mm -hmm. so in Russian culture um I don't think mental health is talked about that widely maybe in recent years but growing up um it wasn't something that that was talked about um and or people didn't people didn't know why they were what the people couldn't identify their own feelings mm. um i think and there was a lack of validation for how they felt and i mm. think this played a massive role into my mum's struggles and my auntie so like my mum's identical twin like her struggles too mm-hmm. um that just a, a sense of shame Mm. Um, of course, I'm, I'm not saying that in Western culture, it's that much different. And um, there's still a stigma and a sense of shame. But um, there is a there is a bit more dialogue in comparison. Oh, absolutely. I couldn't agree with you more. 
that there's an extra layer there in uh in that cultural sort of perspective i guess um i i think because i identify as bangladeshi and um there is somewhat also we don't really talk about our emotions much it's brushed under the carpet and i think talking is really really healthy because it as you say it can really have a poor impact on your mental health and and escalate into mental illness um and I, I feel like with that generation it's a lot harder yeah and uh I really do feel for them and I have only have just gotten a better understanding of that in recent years my myself I hear where you're coming from mm-hmm. um there is a bit more dialogue to that and we need to keep talking about it so I mean you went to Paris with your mum was that right yeah so oh that was so lovely um so both Canada and um, like her visit in Canada and Paris was in 2016. Um, so yeah, we went to Canada. Um, sorry, my mum came to Canada, um, saw me for 10 days and then we flew back home together. So I, I was moving back to the UK with her um, mm. and then came home and my dad told me um, how bad things were and how stressful things were because of how badly my mum was struggling. Um, and then during that summer, my mum's mental health literally completely plummeted. It was so tough and so stressful for the whole family. Um, my dad was struggling a lot. My brother was struggling a lot. Um, I tried to to keep going because, um, like I, I, I felt bad to, to feel, um, sad about it because I hadn't actually been there through the through the past year where things had gotten so bad so mm-hmm. I tried to, to be very proactive and and help out but yeah it was it was very hard okay and I was just gonna say it sounds like it's a lot to go through um for someone who's at university and a young adult um it's because you're sort of removed from the situation I suppose because as you say you weren't there for a year mm. So then what what followed? What happened? So for the bank holiday weekend, the August bank holiday weekend, um, me, myself and my mum, we went to Paris. So we thought we would go because my um, dad and my brother were going to the Formula One races. Mm-hmm. Um, and my dad had said to me um, that um, he, he, he said, like, please don't work. Please don't do anything. Please just be at home with mum um and I said yeah of course and then my mum said why don't we go to Paris and like make the best of it and we thought yeah me as well so this was this trip to Paris was about six weeks before she passed away um and so it's it's very like sentimental like very poignant to me but I'm so glad that we went it was fun it was relaxing um, and it was nice to see her away from the stresses of whatever was bothering her was was in the UK was at home and it was nice to see her a bit more relaxed in Paris and we were having like like dedicated time together which we hadn't really had um Mm -hmm. and it was like we were reconciling we were beginning to reconcile our relationship um and really begin to like um yeah just just enjoy each other's company yeah, have a typical mother-daughter relationship, right? Mm, yes. Yeah. 
Yeah. It sounds like you had a wonderful time in Paris and that that's an important memory to you. Yeah. Mm. And kind of you were in your last year of uni when your mum had a stroke, right? Yes. So um, the the chronology of events is is quite like tight. So um, once I got back from uh, once we got back from Paris, um, I was getting ready to go back to Leeds in September, and um, right. So I was booked to go back to Leeds, and then the next day she was due to fly out to Mauritius just for a holiday. Yeah, and. so a couple of days before we ended up having like a massive argument. Um, but then we reconciled and I remember she said to me, Oh, are we friends? And I said, yes, of course we're friends. Don't worry, mom. And, oh. um, yeah, she was so sweet. And, oh. um, yeah, so that happened. And then the next day she like packed me like a lunchbox for me to go back to Leeds. And then she called me on the coach journey from like London to Leeds. And we had a conversation. She was talking about going to Mauritius the next day, booking the taxi. Um, and that was essentially the last phone, the last time I spoke to her. Um, so, I, of, of course, I, I wish there was more that I said. I, I, like, we did say, like, that we loved each other and, like, have a, have a nice time and stuff. But, but to be fair, I'm glad that we had a normal conversation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because you can't, you don't know what's around the corner and uh, these things are out of our control. So I guess it was hindsight. You kind of look back, sorry, and think, oh, I wish I said this, this and this. But actually, a normal conversation makes more sense. Mm, yes, def- <laughs> definitely. Yeah. And, mm. and, some, and like, also, it's important to not put too much... Um, too much focus on like the last conversation or the last time you saw a person before they passed away um because especially when it's like a parent or someone very close to you 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 do have the unconditional love there where actually that conversation doesn't matter in the whole scheme of your relationship and how much you loved each other that's a really good point that's a really valid point that I think we haven't really covered on the podcast um because sometimes we can often really look back and be like oh you know why didn't I answer that phone call send that text message why was that conversation like that why didn't I make that hospital visit why didn't I stay longer at the hospital or something along those lines but actually it's more real that it was just a normal conversation and it's just better to focus on the the reality and normality of that I guess Mm yes exactly um yeah it's like it is important to like think about the the qualities of the relationship you have with that person how generally they made you feel because you don't think about specific conversations a lot of the time you think about how they made you feel um how happy you both were like memories as well um so focusing on like tiny little things like that sometimes isn't very I wouldn't say productive but there are so many positive things to focus on a lot of the time um Mm. that can help in grief yeah because it could turn into a shoulda woulda coulda which happens a lot in grief Yeah. (laughs) Um, Um, yeah 
for sure. Um, so yeah, a week after um, mm. my mum flew out to Mauritius, um, I remember I got a phone, I got um, a Facebook call from my auntie in Mauritius and um, it was, it was really early in, it was really early one morning and I was actually hungover. <laughs> so I didn't pick up the call because I imagined that it would be my mum calling me through like my auntie's Facebook. And on the other end, there would be like my entire extended family there, like my nan, my granddad, and like my aunties and my uncles in, in like Mauritius. So I thought I'm just, I'll call them back later because I, I'm hungover. <laughs> and also I was running late. I know this sounds silly now, but I was running late at the time to meet friends. Mm. Um, so I went to go and meet friends, had a day with them. And then um, I got a call later on in the day from my cousin in my cousin in England. And then she told me that like my mum had had a stroke and she was on life support in hospital in Mauritius. Um, oh gosh. And I just remember being like, oh my God, like, wow, this is crazy. Um, and I remember I was, so I was in the library at uni, which is crazy because it was the beginning of the year. Like, why was I, <laughs> why was I there? But I was in, in the library and um, I remember I walked out of the library and there was, for some reason, there was literally no one around. And it was just the weirdest feeling ever that I just got this news and there was, it was just desolate all around me. Um, so I called one of the friends that I was just with and I said, hey, can I come to yours please? Because um, I've just found out this happened. And so the rest of the afternoon was trying to sort out, um, like telling my dad and my brother. So my brother already knew because my cousin had told him and I called up my dad at work and I told him which was very hard to do um and he was very very upset and um he was crying and of course and yeah it was just gutting we were trying to figure out how we were going to get to Mauritius um so um I went back to London stayed uh, stayed a night in London and then mm -hmm. um the next day, myself, my my dad and my cousin, we went to go see my auntie who was in hospital, my mum's twin. Yeah. And we had to tell her what had happened. And she was too ill to, like, she wanted to fly to Mauritius, but there was no way she would be able to go. Um, it's such a long flight. Um, it's like, for, for a direct flight, it's about 12 hours. She wouldn't have been able to get the insurance. So she was gutted. Um, and then um, on the Tuesday um which was the next day so I found out on the Sunday came home on came to London on the Monday and then we flew out to Mauritius on the Tuesday mm -hmm. and yeah the flight was very long I remember I remember thinking like I cannot believe how long this flight was um how long this flight is sorry and um it was just awful it was about 17 hours I think with like a change in 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 Dubai mm -hmm. Um, we had some drama at the airport as well and um, yeah we arrived on the Wednesday and when we arrived my uncle picked us up from the airport and I could just see in his face that the whole experience just must have been absolutely horrific um, so we found out that we had that she had the stroke on the Saturday night um, she was with my auntie and my uncle um, she literally just like collapsed 
um and they drove her to the hospital i don't know whether they have um they must have um like emergency services in in mauritius but it was yeah to drive okay Um, and one thing i remember finding really difficult um like difficult to hide my immediate reaction was um my auntie and my uncle said that they 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 did their best to like help her and what they did was they rubbed vinegar on her head and they pricked her fingers and i don't really know how this was how this would have helped but i remember just thinking like because i'm i'm so accustomed to western culture and western values that um i couldn't quite in in my state of shock i couldn't empathize with the fact that that like maybe this maybe it did help maybe it would have helped other, um for, for other people but in my mind i was just like this is crazy <laughs> like yeah. absolutely crazy um, what what is that what does that mean when you rub vinegar and uh prick fingers is that to so, make someone alert or i think with the pricking fingers it was to um relieve the pressure like blood pressure um mm. and rubbing the vinegar is meant to help with like the stroke mm. um so um i have no i have no idea whether that's valid um like i've not heard anything else that validates that or invalidates that to be honest um mm. so yeah they drove her to the hospital and then she um had another stroke when she was there so there two strokes and then she had a seizure um, oh gosh i know and it, they said that basically it was irreparable damage um and i knew that on the sunday so um i actually knew that i was going to be packing for a funeral when i was packing um to go um and i could tell that my brother really didn't like i could tell that my brother was he had no idea how bad this was he only packed like jeans and a t-shirt um he knew it was a bad situation like my mum was very ill but i don't think he knew that she was going to die mm. um so yeah we we arrived on the wednesday and then we were told that um we could only see her for one hour there was only one hour visiting time and whoa yes it was um that's crazy yeah what why is that is that just their rules or it's too much stress or i think it's just their rules to be honest um and i'm guessing the logistics of it in mauritius must have been very different to in england yeah of course yeah um she was on the icu and Mm. um i genuinely i I don't know why but i pictured it to be like a hospital in london or like just Mm. just in england generally but when Mm. we got there it was um oh my gosh it was so different It, (laughs) it was very very different so um you had to queue outside of the icu which was literally outside in the sun um with other people and you had to put on, you know, those swimming shoes that are like um, plastic. Yeah. And blue. So yeah. we had to put on those to protect like the floors of, of the ICU. But every single one of those shoes were absolutely filthy and they all had holes in them. But they said we had to wear them anyway. Um, and I just thought this is ridiculous. <laughs> like this is absolutely stupid. Um, but yeah, just had to do it. Went into the ICU. We had to go in one by one. We couldn't go in together. Um so my dad went first um and then i think i went next when i walked in um i was expecting so many machines 
because of the because of, of of how ill that she was i i thought she'd be on like everything basically but she only had mm. one machine to her face that was covered by covered by a cloth um and that was it basically and um i remember her hands were so swollen like her hands were so 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 swollen like um and i remember speaking to her but thinking it was pointless like i can't I, like, and i couldn't help thinking that i just thought i'm speaking to you but you, she's not understanding a thing that i'm saying like she's so brain damaged um so i said like oh when when we get when you get better we can go on like another holiday um you'll come home we'll look after you i was saying all of that but i did feel a bit self-conscious just because the icu in mauritius was so open and it was chaotic um the, the the doors were just open. I, I don't think there were doors actually. There was just like a curtain, and um, people were looking inside. People were looking in every bed. Like like Mauritians are quite nosy, <laughs> so like they yeah. were just like looking in, just random people. And I was just like, this is just this is hard. Um, yeah, it's not a lot of privacy by the sounds of it. And then we had to deal with the fact that like my nan and granddad in Mauritius, they were also in the same hospital on different wards, and they had no idea about my mum um so my granddad he had um so both of their both of their illnesses were, were to do with being old like I don't think they were particularly ill um it was just like a routine not routine thing but um some ailments that were to do with being being quite old mm-hmm. um so that my nan my auntie and my uncle they weren't too worried about them they were just worried about the fact that they would have to hear about my mum um and then the that evening we were told that um the next morning so thursday morning she we would all be having a meeting with the doctor to to discuss her care and it was it was explicitly explicitly talked about that she was on life support um so we we woke up the next morning um and my auntie and my uncle came upstairs and um oh it's also one thing I'll I'll point out um it was me my two cousins and my brother and my dad who all came to Mauritius to like see my mum and mm-hmm. support the situation came upstairs mm-hmm. and um they they told us that um my mum had passed away and I remember feeling very confused because I was like I thought she was on life support like <laughs> like how did she pass away on life support um and then I just remember thinking oh okay and um it was hard but because the situation was so overwhelming I couldn't let it get to me um so I I didn't cry and I didn't um get too emotional because I felt that if I started to get emotional I wouldn't be able to stop and there was so much that needed to be done um so we went to the ICU um to go and see her okay sorry I'll backtrack a little bit we went to my nan and granddad's house where my brother and my dad were staying and they were staying mm-hmm. there without my nan and my granddad we went there and then I said to them that mom had passed away um and it was very very sad and it was very like dramatic um oh my god it was it was awful it was absolutely awful um Oh, and pardon me, one more thing. My grandma was actually there. She was discharged 
the day before and we took her home so she mm. was absolutely distraught she was cr- she was crying she was screaming it was very very hard to deal with um after all that we went to see her in the ICU and we were waiting outside for a while um so the coroner I think it was the coroner he he knew of the situation and he said that we can go and see her when we could when when like um she was sort of sorted out essentially and um there was a a massive miscommunication (laughs) so we started to go in because we were like this is just ridiculous why 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 are we waiting outside for so long um and there was just a trolley in the corridor and which which none of us had noticed at all then we said to the coroner can we see our mum please like um can we see our like she's just passed away like we we were told that we can go see her and we thought we we would see her in the cubicle we thought she was still there but it turns out she was actually on this trolley and the, the coroner just looked really confused and then he just pulled the cloth like that was covering her and just exposed her to the whole corridor people walking down and we were just like oh my god like we just like we couldn't believe that this was happening like Mm-hmm. It, it was very very diff like that wouldn't I can't imagine that would happen in the UK like where think where there's so much um protocol you have to adhere to in Mauritius it was just sort of I don't know it was just a bit like yeah, yeah, it, it, death was so different it, um it would you say there was maybe not so much compassion there or it was just like another person that's passed away so for them I don't know how what when you say different what does that mean it's in terms of um their attitude to death was a bit more matter of fact I see Um, I see and in England there's a lot more protocol as to like what rules you have to follow and what rules everyone has to follow but in Mauritius I personally didn't get that impression um just because of the way that like she was just kind of left in the corridor um and then the the coroner just lifted up the cloth with no regard to who else was going to see um Mm. no regard to like our reaction um yeah it was it was very strange um and my dad was very shocked (laughs) he was just like oh my god um will I be able to see her late later on um because she she hadn't really been it, like it was just it was it wasn't a very nice sight to see to be honest um did did you get any type was there like a chapel of rest or anything later on like a private room where you could sit with her or um so she was taken to the mortuary and mm. um she was dressed we could give like clothes um so my auntie gave some of her nice clothes to my mum um and then we had a wake later on that evening where she was then taken and it was really nice. Um, it was like open casket and we could say our goodbyes to her. Um, and a lot of, um, like her Mauritian friends, um, acquaintances, they all came, they said their goodbyes. Um, and another thing that I was shocked about was her funeral, um, was to take place the next day um which I, I i hadn't actually known before i didn't know that would I've, I've recently learned that in muslim culture sometimes um the funeral is the next day but at that time i didn't know that you could have funerals literally the day after 
So, so sorry, um, what faith was your mum from? Uh, she was a Catholic. She was Catholic, yeah. Oh, okay. So is it, you say it was the next day, is that because of the Catholic religion or is it because um, it's a different weather and climate in Mauritius so they have to do the funeral quickly? I think both, to be honest. Oh, I see, okay. Um, so yes, the funeral was the next day. Um, I did decide to speak at the funeral, um, and, um, it was hard to come up with a speech, like, in a, in, in the rush, like, that we were, like, we just had to organise ourselves and suddenly prepare. Um, I tried to make the speech, like, as best I could, um, and to really show, like, how great of a person she really was. Um, and I hope that came across. But, yeah, the funeral was actually done in French. Um, and I don't speak French. And neither could, like, my dad or my brother. Actually, my, my brother can understand quite quite a bit of French, to be fair. But um, my dad doesn't know any French. So me and him were just sitting there. And we were just like, oh, my God, we can't understand anything. Um, and But it was a nice service. It was a very nice service. Um, her favourite songs were playing. Um, like Like, my brother Andrew, he knew, like what songs she liked and um, what was appropriate. Um, So one of the songs was Top of the World by The Carpenters. And that was like her favorite song. Um, Mm. So that played, um, yeah, it was was a really nice service. Um, And yeah, it was, I, I just couldn't believe how different it was to funerals that I'd experienced in the UK. Um, mm. at every single moment I was surprised um, so the pool bearers for example um, they weren't very trained at all they couldn't carry my mum's coffin properly at all um, they would be like nearly dropping it and then like laughing to each other um, and it was just mortifying oh gosh that's awful it was awful <laughs> gosh um, so and I remember looking at them and thinking, like, I could either make a scene and um, and say to them, like, um, what are you doing? Like, you need to hold it properly. Like, what are you doing? Or I just have to let it pass because in, it was literally in that in one moment, I was like, I, I can't make a scene because that would just define the whole funeral. Like everyone would would remember that moment of me being dramatic. And I'm sh- and I definitely think the rest of my family had that thought too because none of us said anything it was only my cousin in Mauritius who complained like in between in like um, a pause in the service not in the service but in one of the transitional phases um she called up the agency and said your pool bearers are terrible um like they really are very bad um so there was that and then the coffin was lowered um so personally, in in England, I I remember like the coffin being lowered and then, um, that it like the the dirt or like the soil wouldn't go on the coffin for like quite a while, but in Mauritius, in, at this funeral, she was buried basically straight away, literally about two minutes. They they pulled up plastic sheets which had dirt on on the um on them, and then she was basically buried in about two minutes, and it was just shocking. I was just like. This is absolutely insane. 
um like, I can't believe this is like a week ago my mum was like alive and now she's like under the ground mm. and that is shocking and that is hard to process because it's moved so fast so do you think that that you would have liked a bit more time just it for it to go slower so you could process things um I think so. I think I would have done. Um, I would have appreciated a bit more time. Um, but then I, I must say that once the service was over, there was a massive weight in my chest that got released. Okay. That I'd been holding in. Okay. Um, so to long that out, I don't know whether that would have actually been um, been that beneficial in that way. Mm-hmm. Um it was very it was just because it was just so stressful and such a shock like once she was finally at peace um it was a relief even though it was so horrible that we'd never see her again it was I felt such a strong sense of relief Mm -hmm. Um, especially in terms of like how I knew she was struggling and when I saw her in the hospital um and her hands were swollen um that just that was so horrible for me to see and like when she'd actually passed away and she was in the um when she was at the wake her hands were just normal again like they weren't swollen at all and I thought okay you are at peace now like we can sort of relax a bit and then she was put to rest and we could literally um not move on but start to process what had happened yeah of course move forward and grieve so then were you still in Mauritius for a few more days or weeks or so myself my brother and my dad we had booked for two weeks um but all of us just wanted to go home so we moved our flights um to leave in like two days I think three two or three days um but my two cousins they they decided to stay for the rest of the two weeks um and just try to process things um enjoy the beach um yeah and just like spend more time with like my extended family Mm. so i mean because your mum is buried in mauritius i if it's okay to ask Mm -hmm. uh, obviously you don't go to mauritius every year and you live here in the uk or from london how i mean does that bother you in any way that you can't just quickly go to the cemetery and lay flowers on the anniversary or or do you go every year or so I haven't been since um okay okay it can it can be quite hard to to think of it in that way um however I also feel like at at the grave she's not actually there like she is with God um Mm. and um I've thought that when I've visited other people at their at their graveside as well. Um, I do think it's important to go and see and visit. Um, but their physical self, like it's just their physical selves, like what made them who they were isn't there anymore. Um, they are with God. And um, that's that is my because that's my personal belief that sort of gets me through that thought. Mm-hmm. I hear you. Um, and we actually have a bench in like one of our local parks 
that's dedicated to my mum. Oh, that's lovely. So her colleagues also put some money towards it as well. Um, they were gutted to hear about what, what had happened to her. Um, and the fact that they couldn't attend the funeral. Um, yeah, there were so many people in England who, who couldn't say goodbye. Um, one of my uncles, he lives in France. And he was my mum's brother. Mm-hmm. And he arrived in Mauritius after she passed away. I so see. He was able to say goodbye. Um, that was very tough for him. Mm-hmm. And I mean, you guys talk about moving your flights forward. Mm-hmm. Uh, just to backtrack a little bit. Uh, so you, you, you came back to the UK. Uh, what did that look like for you? Were you at home for a few days before heading back to uni? Like, what what did that look like for you? So, um, I, we arrived back on the Tuesday, um, like the following Tuesday. Um, and then the next day, I remember thinking I had to go and tell my auntie, um, who was my mum's twin, in, in uh, hospital. Okay. Yeah, someone had to tell her um I went by myself like it wasn't my my dad and my brother were just like they couldn't cope with anymore um so I went and it was so hard to tell her she was obviously completely gutted um and because she was so ill at the time her so um it was her mental health that was that was the reason why she was there Mm. and um, she was so ill at that time herself that like she she couldn't um she couldn't really process it like and it was very detached like she hadn't seen anything that happened um so and I don't know what her last conversation with my mum looked like because their relationship in like that past few those past few months had been very strained um so yeah I saw her on the Wednesday um and then I said to her tomorrow so the Thursday I'd come back and um i would see her again and show her pictures of the funeral um show her pictures of like um the wake and stuff just so she could be a bit more at peace with like what had happened Mm -hmm. and start to process it a bit a bit better um and yes i went back the following day um and then I remember I was so emotionally exhausted. Like I've I've never felt like that in my entire life. Um, and I remember I was walking back from like Enfield Town to like my own home, and it was like a thirty minute walk. And I just remember halfway through I was like I can't walk anymore. Like I just I've never felt like this. I, I was like I cannot walk anymore. Um, it was it was just such a strange feeling. Like I was, I was completely drained, physically and emotionally. Um, and then the next day I went back to Leeds, which might be an odd choice. Like people might look at me and think that was very strange, but I needed time on my own to navigate my own life. And like, my life wasn't in Edmonton at that point. Like I was at uni, um, my friends were at uni, my life was at uni, like I needed to get back. And I was, I know it's, it's silly to think, but I was thinking like, this is my final year, like, um, I've got so much work to do so I came back so I was only away from uni for like two weeks I think um 
came back and my friends, my support network was very, very, very supportive of what had happened. Um, in, so yeah, my friendship group was very supportive. My housemates were a bit more detached. Like I think they felt a bit um, uncomfortable with it, which hurt at the time, to be honest. But I did have one housemate who, um, who was very like sweet and she asked me loads of questions and she really tried to engage with me as, as much as possible. And I so appreciate her for that. Um, my other friends as well, they really, really helped me. Um, I didn't talk about it too much. Like I spoke about it in quite a matter of fact way. Okay. Um, and this entire time from when I heard about the stroke to like back to uni, I hadn't cried at all. I hadn't let out any of my emotion because it, it, it really felt like too much. Mm, overwhelming. It can be overwhelming. And so you talk about your friends, which kind of brings me on to your support network. So you had a great support network, but a few housemates that are a bit detached. Mm. Um, are there any, dis looking back, is there any disappointments with friends that maybe were insensitive or just didn't want to listen or maybe there was a bit of conspiracy of silence anything like that what's a conspiracy of silence well when someone knows that the event has happened they know you've been bereaved but they just avoid it and talk about something else like the weather um so that was definitely what happened in my house okay um it, I, I know it wasn't malicious like um I wasn't so the housemates that I lived with, I wasn't very close with anyway. Okay. They were very nice girls, very, very lovely girls. But um, yeah, right. so um, I think they tiptoed around it just because they didn't know. And I seemed to be doing fine, to be honest. So maybe they just thought, just leave it. Um, my friends were very forthcoming with it. Like they were very lovely. Um, there were other disappointments, I suppose. But it, of course, is difficult to have friends who like, don't seem to be forthcoming mm. um but I really try to take it in my stride to be honest um and just try and be understanding that it is difficult for people to talk about mm. and um, I didn't think badly of anyone to be honest I just thought I just need to crack on to be honest and um I did have friends who were very supportive like a lot of friends who were really supportive and there was no point focusing on one or two friends who weren't forthcoming or like only sent me a message like they were Mm. no I hear I hear where you're coming from I think if you have some sort of support that sort of outweighs the mm. support that that isn't there I think we've heard on and off on the podcast there are just a lot of disappointments I know from my own experience I had like a massive disappointment when my mum died oh, um, because I, because I was literally alone there wasn't one single person but I think in grief it's really important that if there's at least one person then yes. that that's enough and nothing else matters um so so it's great that you had that support with your friends did you get support from the university what did that look like and did you get any counseling at university um yes so i told um so when i found out about my mom um i just tried to be as proactive as possible and just detach from the emotion of it. So what I, what I ended up doing was emailing um, like my module leaders and, and telling them what happened, saying that I wasn't in the country and I didn't know how long I was gonna be. I had no idea like whether my mom was gonna live for months 
um and i'd have to i would I, I would have to come back to the uk and then just keep going back and forth um or like yeah i just didn't know the, the situation and they were really understanding um mm. my dissertation tutor she was really understanding um and then i did book a meeting with her like i think the following week afterwards and when i came she literally said um oh, i didn't think you'd come to be honest and if you didn't that would have been okay and i was and so that's how she was like throughout the the time that i was at uni like she was understanding and i was i was very grateful for that because you hear a lot of horror stories about what dissertation tutors can be like um okay and yeah so i just thought in terms of like trying to be logical and sensible that i would sign up for the leeds counseling service at the university um and i must say like i did get a very good response um so when you sign up for the counseling you're on a waiting list and okay. they do judge you in terms of priority so um once i'd once i'd like wrote what happened and you have to say a bit about like your history and whether you've gone through any other struggles once i'd put all that stuff down i remember i signed up um 10 p.m um one night and then the next morning they they arranged um an appointment with me for like the following monday wow very fast very very, very fast um i mean some people have said that the counseling service like they get they take ages to get back to you mm. um just because of how tight the mental health funds are which is awful yeah um yeah but i was quite l lucky in my experience um was it short term was it like 12 sessions or open-ended four sessions sorry say that again four mm -hmm. oh wow yeah so you get four sessions a year with a counselor if, for uh, a year mm -hmm. how if, long are they 50 minutes yeah 50 minutes um and it was it was nice to speak to someone about it and she was really nice um but because I was still holding back a lot, um, I didn't really get much out of it. It was the, it was very cathartic to speak about it, but I didn't get that much um, out of it personally. And that wasn't her fault. She was very good, but it was just so soon afterwards. Yeah. And, then, um, and because I was holding back, I actually think for, for me, four sessions was enough because um by the full session we'd actually kind of run out of things to say mm. um well then, well i mean with it's four sessions isn't a lot and no. sometimes it can take a while for you to find the language for some people to even articulate how they're feeling or knowing where to begin and then also it, the onus is a little bit to the therapist to make sure that they get the most out of that session for you to help mm. facilitate the conversation um but you know what if they can only afford to do four sessions a year they can only afford to do four sessions a year so go on what what happened then well so our four sessions um were over and yeah. she, she said to me if you want to book another session i can book a random session with you oh, okay you would need it okay um, yeah she was honestly lovely Mm. um and she also referred me to this um she said do I want to take part in like this um group counseling 
where um, it was 10 people, 10 students who had also lost a parent. Um, and she said there was still a space on that group if I wanted to join. Um, and I thought, oh, that's that sounds like a good idea. Like, um, yeah, maybe I'll do that. So I did. And mm. um, I feel I feel awful because I, I did take up that space, but I, I couldn't see it through. Um, it was so I the way that I was dealing with my grief was um, waking up every morning and just being busy the whole day. Like I see. Um, and just being able to crack on I would feel low a lot of the time but um, as soon as I went to um, so I did have a job I worked in community outreach as soon as I started working with people I'd literally cheered up because I'm an extrovert and that's that's how I feel better Mm. Um, Mm. so to go to this session I thought would would be a really good idea but um, having to talk about it and being around people who was who were struggling with the same sort of issue um and being very very upset and very emotional just brought me back to real the reality of of how sad it was and also just how shocking it was that she died so quickly in in Mauritius and we were only in Mauritius for like five days just how crazy the whole thing was and just seeing people's reactions to my story um it just it, it it was too much like um I really tried to see it through but um I remember so the sessions were on a Wednesday and on Thursday and Friday the following days I would be so so low um and I thought I can't do this like and I just had to drop out mm. that's very hard so it was very overwhelming and probably a very vulnerable space to be in, especially mm-hmm. if it makes you feel bad the next day. Yes. And or two days or three days, and that staying with that feeling is very overwhelming. Mm. So, so it sounds like what helps you is to be around people, to keep busy, to be distracted. Is would that be the right word to say? Or yes, definitely to be distracted um I would think about my mum a lot um but if I was by myself and I would just keep thinking about it um I would just get really sad and I thought why be sad like what is the point in being sad um and yeah I like I like to when I would feel low um it would um make me like just not not just in terms of grief like in terms of just my life when I feel low um being with other people and realizing that um, remembering that there's life outside of what I'm feeling right now was very very beneficial for me personally um so in terms of grief that sort of thing helped so much Mm. there's a saying in life that our loved ones don't die for us to stop living Mm -hmm. And it sounds like it really helps you to just keep continuing to live your life and knowing that you do have this life ahead of you where you need to coexist with the experience that you've gone through with losing your mum. Yes. Yeah. Um, I did have low times, of course, and my friends were there for me, um, which I was very, very thankful for. But Mm. 
yeah i i was able to pick myself up by by doing things okay so that kind of brings me on to christmas and graduation mm-hmm. uh so did christmas come before graduation or did graduation come after your first christmas without your mum um so she passed away in october um and then christmas came okay um, what was christmas like for you it was it was very sad it was very hard very sad um i couldn't sleep a lot um i had like insomnia um i would just feel like there was something heavy on my chest every time i wanted to sleep as it was getting to christmas um and i decided to to keep busy as much as possible so i'd like go for coffee dates, breakfasts, brunch, like, like dinner, drinks, like I, I tried to keep myself as busy as possible. So in that, in that sense of experience, like doing things with people, it was actually quite a nice Christmas time. But in terms of like Christmas Day, it was hard. Um, so it was just me, my dad and my brother, I didn't go to my cousins that year. Um, and we were trying hard to like, keep it normal. Um, we exchanged presents and stuff. And then maybe at like noon, we just went back to our own lives, to be honest. It wasn't really Christmas after Christmas lunch. Um, and, I, and I did cry. Like, I was really sad. Um, and one thing as well, just during the, the entire Christmas, I couldn't watch any Christmas films because they were all quite family related. And they're very like stereotypical, normal family type um vibes when you're watching those christmas movies and i was just like i can't do this so yeah i didn't watch any christmas movies um it just wasn't really christmas to be honest um Mm. apart from going through the motions of giving presents and you know the decorations it didn't feel very nice no of course not because prior to that i guess these are things that you would have done with your mum like decorating the tree and you know Um, did your mum do the cooking Prior to that, what did Christmas look like when your mum was alive? So, um, Christmas wasn't... So from, like, 12, the ages of 12 and above, my Christmas wasn't actually very nice at all. Like, I would actually dread it when my mum was alive. Not not because... Because we just all had so many... It was just such a stressful life, and we were so detached from each other that having to come together and try to celebrate this nice time was so hard um and yeah I didn't really like Christmas (laughs) in general um I always wanted it to be over in Canada for example I didn't actually come home for Christmas because I thought it's it's just going to be a bit miserable um so in terms of that I suppose I, I wasn't thinking that like Christmas would be so great anyway but it was there was the added sadness of like wow my mum just isn't here Mm. and she's not here to to to, um even have christmas dinner exchange presents like it was very depressing to be honest i just wanted it to be over yeah and i and i think a lot of the listeners will resonate with a depressing christmas without a loved Mm -hmm. one regardless of what it looked like when they were alive or it, it just really emphasizes that that presence is no longer there and never will be um maybe spiritually for you I don't know Mm -hmm. um just curious do you watch Christmas movies now or you just don't at all yeah 
I do. So the Christmas since, um, I was able to like, like I spent a lot of time with my cousins, and it was it was a lot less heavy than the previous Christmas. Um, it was still, of course, very sad to think about my mum and also my auntie who wasn't there, who just like a lot of people, um, just throughout like life, um, have just gone. And I suppose that's the same with like every family. Really, you think about, um people who were here and who aren't anymore and you just you do think about that at Christmas um but we were able to crack on a bit more um the Christmas afterwards and just do more Christmassy things and enjoy ourselves for sure mm, and, and that's really important and it does mm. it does evolve over time I think um which kind of brings me on to graduation now what was graduation like for you uh was your dad and your brother there did you think about your mum on that day so yes so my graduation I actually had a really nice graduation um my auntie and my uncle from Mauritius flew over um and they stayed with us for three weeks um no they didn't they stayed with us for like a week and a half and then they went traveling around Europe um Mm. so they they had a really great time um yeah came for my graduation in Leeds um and so did my cousins in the UK and my dad and my brother. Um, it was really nice. Um, we And I really did miss my mum, to be honest. Um, I did try and make the best of it um, and keep up like a good mood and stuff. Um, but it was quite sad, especially just after I graduated. So after the ceremony, I could tell that my dad was really low. But I remember feeling, I remember feeling a bit irritated, like, come on, don't be low. Like, it's a it's a good day. Come on, we need to cheer up and just just like make the best of it. Um, and he did. I did like check in with him and see if he's all right. Um, but yeah, um, I I just wanted it to be like the best, celeb- like the best day that we could manage. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was really nice. And we spoke about my mom. And yeah, it was it was a good day. But it was sad that like she couldn't be there because she'd she'd like came with me when I when I first went to Leeds. Um, she came on the coach trip with me and helped me unpack my stuff. Um, and then she she like stayed the night in like a hotel and like so she was there. She was so prevalent throughout my uni life. Um, and like if I ever had like issues and stuff, it was like comforting to call her and hear her voice. So for her to not be there at my graduation was really sad. Like she really just should have been there. Mm. Um, but I just tried to think like, I can't think like this. Like I just, I, I can't think like this. I just had to have a good time. Yeah, no, I hear you. I hear you. You've had a tough time growing up it from you know sharing your experiences today it it sounds like it was very hard but you try to make the best out of everything mm-hmm. and live your life but as a young adult because I'm guessing you're still in your mid-20s you're in your mid-20s I'm 23 oh uh, okay so it wasn't long ago you graduated at age 21 I graduated last year last year okay yes. so in 2019 so this is still very fresh it's very raw and the grief never ends really but you've gone through a lot as a young adult and um I hope that the listeners have 
gain some kind of solace if anyone's resonating today or strength from sharing your experiences which kind of now brings me because we're getting to the end now what would you like people to know about death and grief um i'd like people to know that there isn't a correct way when it comes to dealing with grief um some people find it easier to really take time for themselves to um reduce like their commitments with work or studying or uni um whereas other people prefer to like latch on to those um, and that's not a bad thing thinking being guilty for being able to still function um after bereavement is um nothing to feel ashamed of um it doesn't mean that you don't feel the grief at all um which is something that i did struggle with a little bit but it's important that you need to know that your grief is valid regardless of how you're dealing with it um and even if you feel like guilty for not being able to continue and um like struggling with work struggling with uni um that is okay as well because bereavement is such it's such an awful thing to go through and it's such a heavy time in your life that um it is important to take a step back when needed thanks so much laura this kind of now brings me to uh how people can reach you on your social channels before we go to your favorite memory and the gratefulness challenge um so people can add me on my instagram which is just um laura marvin yeah, just literally Laura Marvin, no underscore, no nothing. Um, yeah, and people can feel free to message me if they feel affected by anything that I've said today. What's your favourite memory of your mum? Is it Paris or...? My favourite memory of my mum was probably like when I was really young. Mm. Um, I have quite a few, just there's, there's one where like... Um, like she used to do like the vacuuming and I used to just like hang around her neck. <laughs> like I just couldn't let go. Um, there's that memory. And um, another memory of when we were in the park and she was on the swings and she was like having such a good time. And she just said to me like, see Laura, mum can have fun too. Um, and we were just laughing. And yeah, that was a really good memory. That was a, such a fun day. This now brings us to the gratefulness challenge. Would you like to go first or shall I? I'm happy to give you a moment to think about it and go first. Yeah, you go first. Okay. What am I grateful for? Um, I think for me personally, because the gratefulness challenge is, you know, what's personal to us in the here and now. Right now, I am trying to navigate a like mammoth institution, which isn't easy, and I'm not okay about it. And I think there was a time where I thought it you have to always be okay, you have to be able to hold things together. And right now, I'm just grateful for the fact that I am okay with not being okay, mm -hmm. um, and I don't really have to adhere to having it all together all the time because I just don't, I'm a human being, yes, of course. Yeah, and it's just really, like, things are really heavy for me at the moment because my dad did die early on in the year and I've been somewhat distracted because of coronavirus and lockdown and adjusting to working from home. But I feel like it's now coming to a bit of a surface because I am having to deal with, 
healthcare at the moment and what had actually had happened with my dad. But I just want to say that I am grateful for just being open with the fact that I am not okay and I do have really mm. down days. You know, I can host this podcast and people are like, it's so amazing. You just seem like, you know, you do it so well and it's such a breeze, but it really isn't. It is quite hard to sit in this seat and then have to deal with your own shit and just not be okay because I'm not sometimes yeah of course <laughs> so, so I'm I'm just grateful for that and I just hope that anyone that is feeling like they're not comfortable with that it, it's okay that you're having a tough time and I just admit openly that I am having a tough time and I'm grateful that I can just feel that I am having a tough time if that makes sense yeah of course um first I'd like to say thank you so much for for um speaking with me and my experience today and what you do with other people as well like it makes such an impact in the um, bereavement community to be able to hear experiences from different cultures and different backgrounds and you're mobilizing that so much and your strength to be able to do that when you're going through all of this is absolutely remarkable and also your strength to also show how vulnerable you are at this time you're trying to navigate the health system and trying to find justice for your dad um like that's such a strong thing to do um so yeah I'm, I'm in awe of how how much strength you have in allowing yourself to be vulnerable at this time um and assessing the fact that um you don't have to be okay all the time and it's totally fine to not be okay you're gonna make me cry <laughs> so what are you thank you so much Laura what what are you grateful for today um I'm grateful for being able being able to speak to you so openly um on this podcast um I'm grateful that you've had me on this podcast it's such an honor um in terms of um my life I suppose I'm very grateful for my dad um he's very supportive um he's I'm so grateful that he's um finding or has found a lot of peace in um like after uh, after all this has happened um and trying to make the best of things like I'm grateful that he has that strength um I'm grateful that um he also supports me um at home I'm also grateful for my extended family. So my cousins, um, very grateful for them. They're such lovely people and the kids are just amazing children. Um, I'm also really grateful to feel that like I can keep going and that my life has a purpose and there's just a lot in my future and there's just a lot to experience that I haven't experienced yet. Um, so I'm very grateful to feel excited for all of that to come. Well, that was Laura Marvin talking to me about her mum who passed away in her native home country of Mauritius whilst on holiday. I'm so in awe of Laura and all of our young adults uh, that appeared on Bereavement Room with the sheer openness and reflection of how they coexist with grief. Laura, I wish you so much love and continued success. I hope you get to pursue more of your travel interests and experiences as much as life will give you thank you so much for joining me for remembering your mum with me today and to everyone that tuned in until next time take care i'm your host kosima ali